Good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to have you with us today. I want to welcome all of you here, whether you're in person or you're watching online. I'm seeing some people that I haven't seen for a while, and that's a good thing. Well, it has been another eventful week for our church family. Uh, For some of us, it's been a week of blessings. Uh, For others, it's been a week of difficult trials. And for many of us, It's been a week full of beans and rice. Uh, Anybody tired of eating beans and rice? I don't know about you, but for me, I'm ready for some variety in my diet. And in case you don't know what I'm talking about, let me get you up to speed. Uh, In 2022, Plum Creek has designated this year as the year of the kingdom. We're taking 12 months to focus on the kingdom of God, and we're praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. And so over the course of this year, we're taking on several projects as a church, uh, all with the purpose of advancing God's kingdom on earth. For the past seven days, we've been doing a beans and rice fast. Uh, We've been eating cheap and saving money. And with the money that we've saved, we're giving an offering that will go toward three kingdom building projects. Number one, we're giving to support the ministry of Camp Northward which is a Christian camp down in Pendleton County. Number two, uh, we're providing goats to a group of Christian evangelists in Nepal. And these evangelists are not outsiders. They are Nepali natives, and they'll be going into unreached areas of Nepal where people don't know Jesus. Uh, These evangelists are being trained through Disciple Makers, which is one of our mission partners. And then this third project is mission scholarships. Uh, The scholarships will go to support three college students from Plum Creek who are heading to Nepal this summer to serve as interns with disciple makers. And up to now, I haven't said much about what those students will be doing in Nepal. And here's the basic idea. Remember those evangelists from project number two. They'll be going into those unreached areas, planting new churches, But they need to know where to start. And that's where those interns come in. Those interns will be heading out to different regions of Nepal with an interpreter. And they'll identify some ideal locations for these new church plants. Now you might ask, why would American college students be good for a project like that? Well, it's precisely because they're Americans. In Nepal, outsiders like you and me are welcomed with open arms in ways that fellow Nepalis might not be welcome. So these interns can go out and uh, conduct surveys and provide valuable information for the evangelists as they identify uh, the places where they'll begin their outreach. And again, this is all about building God's kingdom. And he has already been doing amazing things. In Nepal, Christians are a tiny minority, but the church has been growing dramatically. So we're excited to see what God continues to do. Now the base goal for this offering is $12,000, and today is when we start giving. And if you want to give in person, again, you can drop that off in the black box at either exit. If you want to give online, uh, you can scan the QR code in your bulletin or scan it right off the screen. Or you can go to plumcreek.org slash beans and rice. You can give online between now and next Saturday, February 5th. And by the way, 
Even if you didn't eat any beans and rice this week, you're welcome to give for this offering. Uh, But let's be generous. Let's see what God will do. Well, it is time to jump back into our sermon series called Kingdom 101. Uh, For several weeks here, we're taking a crash course on the kingdom of God. Uh, We're going to scripture and we're learning what this kingdom is all about. Now today, we're going to focus on one person who had a significant encounter with Jesus. You know, in every person's life, there comes one defining moment. You could call it a crossroads, uh, you could call it a fork in the road, but whatever you call it, this defining moment is the time when you decide what kind of person you will be. It's in this moment that you decide what your life is going to be about, or to be more accurate, who your life is about. Now for some of us, this moment has already happened. For others, it's still in the future. But for the man in our story today, his moment came 2,000 years ago on a dark night in the city of Jerusalem. The man's name is Nicodemus. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and jump over to the Gospel of John chapter 3. We're going to read about this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus. And for some of you, this is a familiar story. But today, as we read this passage, we're going to keep a particular theme in mind. It's our theme of the kingdom of God. So keep your eyes open and your ears open. Uh, Look for that theme. And let's go ahead and dive in. John chapter 3. We'll start with verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, right away, we see that Nicodemus is a pretty important guy. He's a Pharisee, which means he's a member of an elite group of Jewish religious leaders. And, you know, a lot of us think of the Pharisees as a bunch of bad guys. And there's good reason for thinking that. Uh, Many Pharisees were very prideful and condescending. Uh, Most of them were completely unwilling to even consider the possibility that Jesus might be the Messiah. But we can't paint the the Pharisees with too broad of a brush because there were exceptions. And it seems like Nicodemus is one of those exceptions because he comes to Jesus and he's open to learning from him. But why does Nicodemus go to Jesus in the first place? What's the reason for this meeting? Well, look at verse 2. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. They have this conversation under the cover of darkness. And and why would that be? Well, I've heard several theories. Uh, Some say that Nicodemus might not want to be seen with Jesus because that could get him in trouble with the other Pharisees. But there's another theory that's not quite so dramatic. Others suggest that Nicodemus and Jesus were just really busy during the daytime. They were surrounded with people all day long. So if Nicodemus wanted to have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus, the best time to do that would be at night. And so he makes his way through the darkness, and then he sits down, and he opens this conversation with a very complimentary statement. Rabbi, he says, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. 
Now, when Nicodemus addresses Jesus as rabbi, that's a very big deal. Because remember, Nicodemus is a highly respected teacher. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, uh, also called the Sanhedrin. And you don't reach that level unless you are extremely bright. Nicodemus would have memorized huge sections of Scripture, word for word. And people would have looked at him as someone who was wise in the ways of God. He also would have been much older than Jesus. Nicodemus was probably in his 60s here, and Jesus is just in his early 30s. So it is surprising that he was this open to learning from Jesus. So that's how the conversation begins. Nicodemus starts out being very respectful and complimentary. And what would you normally do when someone gives you a compliment? You would tend to smile and say thank you, right? especially if, if it, you're talking to a person of authority. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus hits Nicodemus with this statement that seems to come out of the blue. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, right here, Jesus brings up our theme, the kingdom of God. And this is nothing new for him. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom everywhere he goes. But before we get to that, did you see what just happened? It's kind of strange. Uh, first, Nicodemus says, Jesus, some of my friends and I, we've seen your miracles. We've seen there's something special about you. We really believe that you've come from God. But immediately, Jesus gets confrontational. He's like, Nick, it's... It's good that you know so much of the Bible. It's good that people look to you as a wise teacher. But those things will not get you to God. You will never enter God's kingdom unless you are born again. Now, hold on a second. That's not what Jesus was talking, or that's not what Nicodemus was talking about, right? Nicodemus didn't say anything about the kingdom of God. But Jesus knows the kingdom really is the core issue here, whether Nicodemus knows that or not. Can you imagine how Nicodemus would feel when Jesus says that? He would have been thrown off, and that's exactly what we see in verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born. Now, it would be great to have a video of this conversation. I'd love to see what Nicodemus' face looked like here. Uh, was he kind of dumbfounded? Like, uh, sorry, Jesus, I'm not tracking with you. Or could it be that he had a smile on his face? Maybe he was being a little sarcastic. Like, come on, Jesus. You don't expect me to <laughs> get back into my mother's womb, do you? Well, if Nicodemus was joking, Jesus keeps a straight face. Because what he's talking about here is a very serious matter. Let's read the next few verses. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
Now, Bible scholars have discussed these verses and argued about these verses for a long, long time. And there are lots of issues that we could talk about here, but we're going to stay focused. We're going to stick to our main theme, the kingdom of God. And with that in mind, let's put this story alongside the lessons that we've been learning about the kingdom over the past few weeks. So first of all, what does Jesus mean when he refers to the kingdom of God? Is he talking about a specific place? Is he talking about heaven? Well, let's go back to the definition that we've been using for the past few weeks. What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's any place where God's rule and his reign have truly begun. And a couple weeks ago, I said this definition may seem a little strange because if God is the ultimate king of the universe, how could any place be outside of his rule and his reign? And it's true, God is the king of the universe. Scripture tells us that. But from the time of Adam and Eve all the way up to the present day, there has been a rebellion against the kingdom of God. And that rebellion started with sin. Sin is a willful decision to reject God as king. It's when somebody says, I'm not going to let you rule in my life, God. I'm going to do things my way. And so Adam and Eve sinned. Everybody who's lived since then sinned. And as soon as sin entered the world, pain and suffering and death came right along with it. And this is where we live today. We live in a fallen world where many people still reject God as king. But back to John chapter 3. When Jesus mentions the kingdom of God, how would Nicodemus have interpreted that? Well, he was a Pharisee. So we, he would have adopted many of the Jewish assumptions and ideas about the kingdom of God. And the Jewish people had this particular understanding. They expected the Messiah to come. And this Messiah would show up in a blaze of glory. And he would appear as a great king. And then he would go to work. He would sweep away all the wicked kingdoms of this world. And when he was done with that, he would set up God's reign on earth and he would bring justice and righteousness all over the world. It's a pretty cool thought, but unfortunately, the Jewish understanding wasn't accurate. Later in the book of John, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. So Jesus never intended to overthrow the Roman Empire and, and become a great general or a great emperor. He would establish a far greater kingdom, one that would last forever. This kingdom would be based in heaven, and it would last for eternity. But if Jesus established this greater kingdom 2,000 years ago, why is this world still such a mess? It's a good question. But you might remember that the kingdom comes in two stages. Stage one began when Jesus came to earth for the first time. And in that first coming, Jesus did not attack physical kingdoms like the Roman Empire. He attacked the spiritual powers of sin and Satan and death. And when he died on the cross and then rose from the dead, he defeated those evil spiritual powers once and for all. It was total victory. However, 
Stage two hasn't happened yet. Jesus has already defeated the powers of evil, but he hasn't yet destroyed the powers of evil. That will happen when Jesus comes a second time. And at that point, it's game over for anything or anyone still in rebellion against God. This is why we say the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. And so right now, we live in this age where Jesus has won the victory, but we still live in a fallen world. We're still surrounded by brokenness. And we see that brokenness all over the place. We see it in headlines like what's happening right now on the border between Russia and Ukraine. We see it in crime. We see it in abuse. We see it in sickness. We see it in death. Just yesterday, many of us were here for the funeral of Gary Thompson. And you know, when you lose someone you love, death feels so wrong. And it should feel wrong because that is not what God wants. This is why Jesus will come again and he will destroy every enemy of God, including death itself. But there is a troubling aspect to all of this. None of us can claim to be innocent. We've all sinned against God. We've all been in rebellion against God. We made ourselves enemies of God. And we deserve to be destroyed too. That's the bad news. But that's not the end of the story. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So there's good news here. We are still invited to be a part of God's kingdom. If we go back to John chapter 3, back to this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, if we skip down a few verses, we arrive at the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the only reason that we're invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's John 3, 16. Jesus came into this world and he died on the cross and he paid the price that we deserve to pay because of our sin. And when you give your life over to him and you accept the gift of salvation, you become a citizen of God's kingdom. And even though we live in this fallen world, the kingdom of God still shows up today, here and now. It shows up in every true follower of Jesus. Followers of Christ are blessed by God and then we go out to be a blessing to others. We get to be a light that pushes back the darkness. But let's get back to Nicodemus. Jesus said something to Nicodemus that we can't just skip over. He said, if you want to enter this kingdom, you must be born again. In other words, Jesus tells Nicodemus that you can't get to God without a spiritual rebirth. And rebirth sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? It sounds like a fresh start or an awakening. But there's another element here that we're going to find difficult. In order to experience this spiritual rebirth, a very real part of you has to die. 
You can't have new life until the old life is dead and gone. We see this principle all over Scripture. For example, you could look at the Apostle Paul. Paul experienced this rebirth, and he describes it over in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those are strong words. I have been crucified. I no longer live. Paul says, I have a new life and a new identity. I'm not who I used to be. My life is not about me anymore. It's Jesus living through me. And if you look at the details of Paul's life, that's exactly what happened. He became a totally different person. So Paul had that defining moment with Jesus. And so did Nicodemus. In his encounter with Jesus, Nicodemus had to decide what kind of person he would be. Would he continue running his own life? Or would he let go and give God control? You know, if we're being honest, we all struggle with that decision. Because we, we love the idea of experiencing the blessings that come from being a citizen of the kingdom of God, but we don't like to give up control. We don't like the fact that if Jesus is your king, he will tell you to do things that you simply do not want to do. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said things like, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. There are plenty of difficult commands in that sermon. So let's go back and rethink this. Is it really worth it to become a citizen in this kingdom? I mean, if you have to die to yourself, give up your own agenda, give up your own desires, is it really worth it to experience the spiritual rebirth? Well, according to Jesus, it is absolutely worth it. Jesus said, the kingdom is a priceless treasure. It's, it's worth it to give up everything you have. But let's, let's dig a little deeper. Let's get more specific. Why is the kingdom a priceless treasure? Is it a treasure because we get to experience God's blessings here on earth? Is it a treasure because we don't have to go to hell? Is it a treasure because we get to go to heaven? Well, all those things are great, but none of those are the biggest reason why the kingdom is a treasure. The kingdom is a treasure because of God himself. And until we understand the infinite value of God, we'll never understand why the kingdom is such a treasure. So, where do you stand here? Are you awestruck at the greatness of God? Would you say that your deepest longing and your greatest desire is for God himself? To be with him, to worship him forever and ever? That's exactly where King David was. Check out Psalm 63. 
David wrote this psalm and he says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. Okay, let's be real. Do we talk like that? Would you say that your whole body longs for God? That you lie awake thinking about Him? That His love is better than life itself? I think a lot of us would have to say, honestly, I'm not quite there. We don't use that kind of language. And why is that? Why aren't we more excited about who God is? Last weekend, my family watched the Bengals game with some friends. And uh, the last few minutes of that game were so intense. And when McPherson kicked that field goal to win the game, we went nuts. We were jumping up and down, cheering. kind of went crazy. And I didn't have to tell myself to be excited. It just happened. So this is my question. Why is it easier to get excited about something like football or basketball than it is to get excited about God? And if that's the case, can we do anything about it? Well, I have an illustration that may help. What if I came up to you and I said, hey, I'm going over to visit a friend of mine, and this friend has a leaky faucet in his house. And here's the plan. We're going to sit beside that leaky faucet and just watch the drops fall into the sink. We're going to do this for probably a couple of hours and I wanted to invite you to join me. What do you think? You're probably going to turn down that invitation, aren't you? But what if I came to you with a different idea? What if I said, hey, instead of going to see a leaky faucet, we have the chance to see Iguazu Falls. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Iguazu Falls, but it's down in South America on the border between Brazil and Argentina. And it's actually not one waterfall. It's a collection of 275 waterfalls. The whole system is 1.7 miles wide. Three and, a half millions of gal three and a half million gallons of water flow over the edge every second. There is simply nothing else like it in the world. And you can see these falls in several different ways. You can walk out on viewing platforms, and some of these platforms are directly over the edge. You can also take a boat and, and go out and see the falls from below. You, you can take a helicopter ride and get the bird's eye view. So what do you think? You think that would be a cool experience? You think you could spend a couple hours at Iguazu Falls without getting bored? Of course you could. This is one of the greatest natural wonders in the world. So what's my point here? Well, let's go back to that leaky faucet. That faucet represents our current view of God. 
It's true. Iguazu Falls represents something that's more like the reality of who God is. Our image of God is so weak and inferior compared to who he is. Naturally, we don't get excited about sitting around looking at a leaky faucet, but if we could get a better sense of the greatness and glory of God, we would start to sound more like King David. We'd be far more willing to die to ourselves and let God rule and reign in our lives. At the same time, though, let's be fair. God is invisible. Uh, He can seem far away. And on some days, you might wonder if he's even there. So how do we make this transition from a leaky faucet view of God to an Iguazu Falls view of God? There's actually a simple answer to that question. It may seem too simple, but it's true. To grow in your appreciation of God, you need to be immersed in the Word of God. You've got to get Scripture into your head and into your heart, and not just on a Sunday morning, not just a, a verse here and there through the week. I mean, immerse yourself in Scripture. There's no replacement for that. And I realize uh, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this before. You've heard the preacher say, you really need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more. It can kind of feel like a doctor telling you to exercise more or start eating healthy. But I'll say it again. There's no replacement for being immersed in the Word of God. And if you find that challenging, it's okay. Because every person... And every culture has some kind of obstacle that makes it difficult to be in God's Word consistently. For example, some people don't have the Bible in their language. Other people can't read. And then in some places, it's illegal to even own a Bible. But what's the obstacle in our culture? Well, check out this picture. Look at all the words on that page. I mean, there's no pictures. There's nothing that really grabs your attention. Now, in your mind, put that picture next to something that does grab your attention. Put the Bible next to a football game, basketball game. Put the Bible next to a movie you like or the social media feed that you scroll through, uh, next to your favorite video game or your favorite hobby. It's hard for the Bible to compete isn't it? So what can we do? I'll say it one more time. (laughs) If we want a greater and more complete sense of God, we have to immerse ourselves in his word. Because then when we get that clearer picture of God, we'll be awestruck by his infinite greatness. We'll see the kingdom for the priceless treasure that it is and and we'll be ready and willing to die to ourselves and then live out our God-given purpose, which is to worship him and glorify him and help others find a relationship with him through Jesus. How do we get over this obstacle? How do we develop the habit of immersing ourselves in the word of God? Well, we actually have lots of options. First, you can just pick up the book and read it. If you don't know where to start, 
got a scripture reading plan in your bulletin. We also post it on Facebook every week. Second, you can listen to the Bible. That's so easy to do these days. Just download the YouVersion app. You can listen for free. You can also join a small group Bible study like one of our life groups. Uh, if you need to get connected, we'd be glad to help you. If, if you really want to ramp this up, lead a Bible study. Wow, that, that makes a huge difference. And we could help you with that too. But however you decide to engage with Scripture, I'm telling you, this book will transform your life because God reveals himself through his word. Last Sunday, we had a guest preacher named Bob Shogren. Uh, I got to sit down and talk with Bob, and he shared a story with me. Bob and his wife, Debbie, do mission work over in, Haiti, uh, in Kenya, in Africa. And on several occasions, they've distributed audio Bibles to people who live out in hard-to-reach places, places where they don't have much in the way of technology. And in the picture you see here, Debbie is sitting across from a Kenyan woman. She received one of those audio Bibles not long before this. And on the day of this picture, the, the Kenyan woman walked 12 miles one way to see Debbie. And why did she do that? Well, she walked those 12 miles just to say thank you. She couldn't read but she listened to that Bible over and over again. And her husband listened too. And the Word of God changed her life, changed her family. God changed her life. So one last time, think about Nicodemus. That encounter with Jesus, that was the defining moment of his life. And he got to hear the Word of God from Jesus himself. And how cool would that be? How cool would it be to hear John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, this is one of those verses that helps us grow in our appreciation of God. John 3.16 reveals God's great love. Our Heavenly Father gave and sacrificed his only son. And why did he do that? It's because God so loved the world. He loves you and he loves me, even though we're sinners, even though we rejected him as king. And when that truth really sinks into our hearts, our leaky faucet view of God starts to grow into the Iguazu Falls view. Because he first loved us, we can learn to love him. And that's when we say, well, of course it's worth it to be crucified with Christ. I'll give up everything I have to be a part of his kingdom. In every person's life, there comes a defining moment. Nicodemus had his moment. And it would be nice if John told us the end of the story here, but for some reason, he doesn't do that. It would be cool if John said, right then and there, Nicodemus gave his life to Jesus, he got baptized, and then he went out spreading the good news. No, that's not what we get. However, later in John's gospel, Nicodemus shows up again, twice. In chapter 7, a bunch of Pharisees are in a meeting condemning Jesus. And guess what happens? Our boy Nicodemus stands up and he defends Jesus in front of the other Pharisees. 
That took guts. And it also tells you something about his faith. And then in John 19, we come to the story of the crucifixion. At the end of that chapter, Jesus has died. And no one is there to bury him. But two individuals step up and they take a great risk. They go to Pontius Pilate. They ask for the body of Jesus and they give him a proper burial. One of those individuals was Joseph of Arimathea. The other one was, you guessed it, Nicodemus. In fact, Nicodemus spent a vast amount of money on burial spices. And based on these actions, I, I don't know, but I have to believe at some point, Nicodemus did experience that spiritual rebirth and enter God's kingdom. But you know, Nicodemus had his moment 2,000 years ago. The question today is about you. What have you done or what will you do with the good news? The good news of the kingdom is that Everyone has the opportunity to be where we most want to be. In the presence of God. In His kingdom. Worshiping Him for all of eternity. So in this moment, what do you do with that good news? For some of us, you need to die to yourself and be born again for the very first time. For others... You need to do what Jesus said. Pick up your cross once again. He said, pick up your cross daily and die to yourself once again and allow Jesus to be the king of your life every day for as long as you live. So what will you do in this defining moment? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way you reveal yourself through your word. I thank you for the way we get to know you through Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will help us grow in our understanding of who you are to see your greatness and your glory better than we do right now. We're going to have an incomplete picture as long as we're in this life, but Lord, would you reveal yourself in such a way that we realize that it is so worth it to give up everything else to be in your kingdom, to be in your presence. Lord, whatever it is that we need to give up today, I pray that you'll help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation is for everyone. It's for the prideful person who, who thinks that you're good enough. It's for the person who says, I'm far from good enough. God would never forgive me for what I've done. The invitation is for everyone. If you've never put your faith in Jesus and been baptized into Christ, we invite you to do that. At the end of this service, I'll be down front here. I'd love to talk with you about that. Troy will be here. Uh, you could also stop by the Connection Cafe on your way out. If you're watching online, you can go to plumcreek.org slash connect. But don't let this day go by without taking that step, surrendering to Jesus, experiencing 